Give it up, baby. I've studied all your moves. Yeah, study this! <laughs> What's good, everybody? Welcome to the Forbidden Technique Podcast on the Fight Site Podcast Network. Myself, your host, Silas Martin. My co-host, as always, Christian Reynolds. And a special guest for today is our boy, Spencer, because some stuff happened in the world of J-Kick that I just fucking forgot to talk about last week because kind of crept up on me. And... uh, this is just like one of the most hilariously mismanaged uh, super fights ever. Of course, uh, Tenshin Nasukawa actually fought uh, Takeru Sagawa, um, which I, I, I was convinced was not going to happen at all, particularly when uh, the event lost its TV deal due to Sakakibara's affiliation with the Yakuza and, the, and it turned out that the f- fucking venue was booked under the name of the TV station, and it was, it was not looking good. Um, but the card came through, and it was great. Uh, don't know if anything could ever live up to the hype that was uh, that super fight, but the card was also just stacked with a bunch of like the top talent in J-Kick. And um, uh, me and Christian have barely been able to watch most of it because it's fucking impossible to find right now. So we wanted to have Spencer on to talk about it because he knows stuff about J-Kick. So, Spencer, t- Tension versus Takeru. Why was this fight such a big deal in the first place? Yeah, I mean, what's that? Like seven years in the making? Um, they finally meet after all this time. And uh, it was fucking really big for Takeru because his whole thing has always been, I want to be the face of kickboxing, the face of K1, and I want to be the best of all time. And he couldn't do that without being intention. And uh, tension, on the other hand, is like, I just want to get this out of the way and go to boxing. And the contrast is really funny, I think. Um, they end up doing it. And uh, it was kind of sad by the end of it. Even the ring girls were crying. Um, I mean, like every every Japanese combat sports event will just have shots of random Japanese women crying in the crowd. Yeah, it's that's very just, wholesome. That's just part of the whole thing. Are we going to spoil all this? Or, I mean, um, yeah. I mean, if you don't know what happened and you're interested, then just like pause the podcast and try and go find it now. <laughs> It'll be on YouTube. How, however, you are able to do that. I mean, give it a week and come back. It'll probably be on YouTube. Or, you know, maybe uh, someone in, in the Fight Site Discord channel will be able to find you a link to it. Plug. Um, but anyway, yeah, so so the fight. Um, attention, Nasakawa wins by decision. Uh, reasonably clear over the three rounds. He dropped Takeru in the first round with a really nice ca- uh, counter left straight to uh, Takeru's left hook. Um, there was a noticeable speed advantage for attention, and he was doing a good job of, like, uh, just stifling the kicks that Takeru normally uses to enter from and was just like uh, making him making him commit to some pretty wild entries that uh, Tension was doing a really good job of uh, evading and finding really clean counters off of and uh, showed that uh, incredible veteran savvy that he has for such a young fighter in his ability to uh, really overplay fouls and <laughs> stall for time when he knows he's up on the scorecards. <laughs> That's that patented rolling thunder he's got to stall for time as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as as the fight went on, uh, Takeru was more and more just just chasing tension and kind of walking him down and letting himself just get dinked up by straight punches off of the back foot. Just eating tensions left hand and smiling. The chin on that lad is absolutely monumental. Um, but I mean, w- was this generally considered an upset? Because me and like most of the people I talked to about all of this stuff were all picking Takeru to uh, absolutely nuke tension with a left hook at some point. Yeah, I mean, like eighty percent of the people that I saw thought that Takeru was going to win that, especially with the performances that Tension had lately. 
when he lost to Gomi. Yeah, kind of getting boxed up by Gomi. <laughs> he loses to Gomi and then loses to Kazane. I mean, I didn't expect him to be uh, his jab to be like the best it's ever been. And this is a pretty perfect performance, even considering the stalling. Because it works out. So, I mean, what did you think, Christian? I don't really have a very strong opinion on it. Going into it, I I watched the one fight where Takuru got fucked up by a southpaw and then kind of just forgot about every other factor in the matchup. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, tension's going to win. And then it kind of looked like that early, and then Takuru just had the, like, fortitude to get back up and start fucking him up again. Or start trying to fuck him up again. Uh, and then the third round, when he really started going at him, it was weird how he just was so committed to throwing. While he, he could have just taken a half second to think about what he wanted to throw, and he probably would have thought of something better to throw than like 16 hooks consecutively that are all getting juked. So I thought it was like kind of frustrating towards the back half for Takaru, but you know both guys looked good. Uh, it was it was uh, the best tensions looked from his recent fights. That's cool. I think um, if you go on the Fight Site YouTube channel and watch the Takeru uh, breakdown, I think it was by Julian Lung, he explains Takeru's whole style really well and his issues with uh, a southpaw and how it's hard for him to uh, get his combos going against a southpaw. You kind of saw it in this fight. So you don't, don't know that anything could ever live up to the hype that, that this uh, that this was built up to be yeah. these two like you know, basically undefeated super champs from different organizations this was pretty much the like a uh, mayweather pacquiao of kickboxing the biggest fight you could make in the sport for some time and um i don't know it was still a lot better than that fight <laughs> it was it was fun I, th- I think we'd probably all be a lot more excited about it if it wasn't supposed to be like the greatest fight of all time but it was cool it was um, also Unfortunately, only three rounds rather than five. See, I thought that going in and then watching, having watched the fight, I'm not really sure how much another two rounds even would have shifted the dynamic for either guy. Kind of seemed like the fight that it was going to be by the end of those three rounds. And the tension had like both taken away Takaru's weapons and just like fucked him up to the point that he just wasn't fighting smart anymore. I don't know, he, he, was just, he was just kind of fighting desperate. Yeah, I would have seen... Or I would have just liked to see more of that, but I don't think that uh, that Tension would, like... I think Tension would just continue making him miss. Like, the momentum swing in the first round where Tension just got a knockdown kind of set him up for the rest of the fight, because if you get a knockdown in the first round, it's, like, guaranteed 10-8, so all he had to do was just do okay in the next few rounds, and the worst you'd get is a draw. And, and like it's he he made him have to fight from a deficit and then just handled it appropriately and like stalled well. So it, it there was no way it was going to be like the sickest fight ever if it turns out like that. And I think it, if the first round had gone any differently, that we could have gotten a much more insane fight. If the exact fight that we saw goes another two rounds, then it probably doesn't change that much. Um, but just the fact that tension would have had to do more to seal the next couple of rounds to be able to. I'd like to know that he had done enough to convincingly win over five that like he may have just had to like risk more exchanges and given Takaru more chances to get back into the fight um but like it was it was just like a pretty perfect performance for tension and a sneaky nightmare stylistic matchup doesn't matter doesn't matter Takaru's washed that's all that happened I mean yeah if your favorite fighter loses once they're washed so uh, I was only able to catch a couple of other things from this card uh I think Christian has seen most of it, but Spencer, what were the what were the cool fights and the big players and the people that um, you know listeners should go check out if they're like you know interested in kickboxing but don't know that much about what's going on in the sport? Yeah, so uh, let's start off with like the first one on the card is actually uh, Tension's brother that fought. Tension's uh, ten years his senior. His name's Ryujin. He fought this dude named Rui Okubo, and he's fucking good. Um, Ryujin's 16, Rui's 17, I believe. Uh, he's a Muay Thai fighter. And in his last fight, he fought uh, this dude named Nishibayama, I think. 
and uh, he fucked him up. Dude was 26 years old against a 17-year-old, and Rui's knees are basically as good as you can get them. He's got the, um, like, that really lanky look to him, and, like, those really stabby knees. Um, that one's a good one to watch. Ryujin is not nearly as athletic as Tenshin, um, but he has way more tenacity to him. You'd never see him doing that stalling shit. He's in your face the entire time. So that was a really fun, fun match. Um, I thought Rui was going to fucking smoke him because the last time I saw Ryujin, it was in 2021, and he looked like he was 11 years old and he was not strong at all, but he really held his own in this one and uh, it was impressive. One dynamic that I didn't take into account that makes sense was that uh, Rui Okubo's debut, his last fight, uh, he basically just beat the shit out of his opponent. Um, he just got the ability to work and show off his offense really well. And uh, his opponent was just a punching bag the entire time. Uh, that was against Nishibayashi. Um that's something that Ryujin um, definitely didn't let him do. Uh, Rui Okubo did not have the ability to just work, and uh, Ryujin was in his face the entire time. And um, um, yeah, so Ryujin just kind of like bit down on his guard and uh, and stayed in his face the entire time and did his best not to get pushed back, which was really good. Um, the next one after that was Kaneko Akihiro. Uh, he just fought uh, Masashi Kimura in this uh, uh, three-round or er, three-fight exhibition. Um, he's fought Kimura twice. It was a really crazy um, barn burner that you should watch. It's on YouTube. Uh, this time around, he fought Shiro. I really don't like Shiro. Um, I think he's overrated. He's basically just a high guard with some pretty good footwork and some boring offense to me. Uh, he had a good fight against like um, Suzuki. You can watch that on YouTube. Um, Kimura basically did what he does. Uh, really educated lead hand, good jab, good left hook. Um, was mixing it up to the body, getting around that high guard, and he, he ended up finishing Shiro. Um, Another good one to watch is basically skip like four of them. Nobody cares about Chihiro Nakajima. Nobody cares about Mahmoud Satari. He's funny, but that's it. Um, the next one was Wajima Hiromi. Uh, he fought Bay Noah. That was a good fight. Hiromi is really cool. He's not particularly athletic, um, but he's really big and he's a tactician. Uh, he's got some really cool. Um, shot selection and footwork and he really learns your you can't give him time to work because he just learns you and then he ends up finishing you uh as you saw in his last fight against um philip kimura and before that another one you can watch on youtube he fought this dude named avatar he was a, a really tiny thai guy and that was really fun um a really quick match it was like a minute uh, it was Yaman versus Ryusei Ashizawa. Uh, it was basically Yaman being like 10 times stronger. He like knocks him to the ground and then just like chucks him about. Uh, and that was really, it was really just funny, but that's kind of Yaman's whole thing. He's a meme fighter. Ryusei is kind of like uh, Brandon Royville, so he's fun. Uh, next one after that was Leona Pettis versus uh, Khan Nakamura. That one's really fun. I thought Leona was going to starch Khan Nakamura. Uh, I thought Leona's offense was just going to be too much, and I didn't think Khan was really going to be able to um, get past his defense very much. Although Khan is really powerful and fast, uh, I thought Leona was just too good in the pocket, and he'd end up just finishing him in the second. But Khan Nakamura actually ended up uh, winning the decision against him. And... Uh, that was a good fight. Um, Rukia Anpo versus Kosei Yamada was the next one. 
uh, Yamada is like Shiro if he was good. Um, he's like the most dedicated kicker ever. He's so excessive with his kicks. It's rare. Yeah, fun. I did catch a little bit of this one. It was it, it was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. He's like a meme fighter because of the amount of kicks he throws. Uh, yeah, but even the meme fighters in J-Kick are so good. For real. They're educated. And that's really And he was great. like really building combinations to like uh <clears throat> he was really building combinations with those kicks and making it like the taller guy feel really uncomfortable with the range. Yep. And he does this cheeky thing where he'll throw like a th- literally a thousand kicks at you and then surprise you and be like, oh, don't forget about my hands and just knock you out. He's got like the most vicious, like Mike Tyson like hooks. Uh, so give that a watch. In that fight against uh, Rukia, I didn't end up getting to finish it, but Rukia would try to throw hands at him and Yamato would just back up and like counter him with a kick. And eventually he just started kicking him into the body and then throwing another kick to his leg and like doing kick combos. That was really fun. Then punching off the kicks. Mm-hmm. Um, next one was Hideki Yamazaki versus Kento Haraguchi. Uh, Hideki was a former champ. I think Kento is the current champ in Rise. Um, and Hideki's kind of like a meme fighter in a way. He throws a lot of hook kicks and he's actually gotten KOs off of that against really good people. Um, and he's just a fun fighter. Haraguchi's kind of like a Taekwondo esque fighter. Um, he throws a lot of like, uh, what do you call it when you do like a double kick, like kick, kick, body kick, head kick, but like it's left leg and right leg. Is that just a double kick? Yeah, he does some shit like that. Uh, he's really fun and athletic, and I didn't get to catch that fight unfortunately, but we'll have to watch that back in like a week or two. Um, and then the next one was the Komen, which was Noyori Masaki versus Kaito. Um, yeah, Noeri kind of got fucking robbed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, People who don't know anything about J-Kick, Noeri's definitely one of the guys that you should just go check out all of his fights because he's cool as fuck. Yeah. Really okay. slick, like, in-fighter, aggressive counterpuncher, like, really creative, dexterous knees, and he is just one of the coldest finishers I've ever seen in any combat sport. And... Yeah, so, so this was one of the fights where, you know, obviously K1 have the thing where if it's a draw at the end of three rounds and it goes to an extension round and they ended up having to fight for a fourth round and the fourth round was definitely competitive enough that I thought I could see it going to the other guy, but I just don't, really don't understand how they got a draw out of those first three rounds. So Kaito is doing a really good job of not getting back to the ropes. Uh for a lot of that. That's really important against Noyuri. You don't want to do that because he's going to fuck you up there. He really works on the ropes. Um, yeah, I was really, I was definitely impressed with how much Kaito was able to maintain hanging around in the pocket with Noyuri in this fight. Oh, yeah. Um, but Noyuri, so I just don't think they valued his um, body punching that well. And just his body work in general, I, I think. Um, Kaito may have thrown more to the head and landed more to the head, but Noiri was doing constant leg and body attrition. Uh, and it was a lot more landing cleanly than Kaito got of body or head punches. Yeah, and, and Noiri landed, pre- landed a pretty clean high kick in one of the first rounds. Yeah, that was a great, great performance by both of them, to be honest. Kaito impressed me, even though like, I knew he was good. Just going up against Noiri is really hard. Uh, and one of the only ways that you, I think that you can really do that is by um, not getting back to the ropes, um, off-balancing him as well. And I think he was doing that a good bit. I would have liked more like attacking the inside leg of Noiri and things like that. I think that would have been good. Uh, but it was a great performance. And he won, technically, even if it was a drawbury. Yeah, I don't want to take anything away from from Kaito when I say that I think he looked totally lost this fight because it was a really impressive performance to be able to hang in there, how he did with someone like Nuiri, and it was it was close enough. Like it is it is impressive to you know even be able to get to a robbery decision against Nuiri because he just finishes so many people. Yeah. Um. So 
So the last one on there is just the main event to get attention. And just to say a couple more things on that, um, I don't know where Takeru goes after this. Uh, he often has said after his last uh, loss, which was like nine years ago or some shit, that if he loses again, he's going to retire. Um, and this was the most important fight for him. Um, I, I don't think there's been any, I don't think he said anything. So we'll have to see. But uh, losing to Keru and Tension would be really unfortunate. Um, they've been like the headers of, of their divisions for years. And uh, they always brought excitement. Not just their divisions, they've been the big faces of Japanese kickboxing. It's basically like Rod Tang is one face. Takeru is K1's face. Tension is Rise's face. And, you know, there's definitely some interesting guys coming up who may be able to fill that role in the next few years, but I don't I don't know that anyone is immediately going to be able to be the kind of draws that those two guys were for the sport. So it would, it would be really unfortunate because, like, and, I mean, who cares about tension going to boxing? That's stupid. But I guess, I guess he wants the money. Or he just thinks boxing's cool. I don't know. Maybe there's a financial reason. I, I don't really know. Um, maybe he's just more interested in the matchups there. Maybe he just feels like he's completed kickboxing. Perhaps. Now he's doing side quests. Boxing side quests. MMA side quest next. I'll fight Volkanovski. <laughs> yeah, he, he fucked up the side quest against Floyd. Yeah. Yeah, he was underleveled for that, though. Yeah. I want to see him versus Jeremy Stevens in MMA. <laughs> that was the funniest loss on somebody's record. He needs to go to the forest and kill some boars if, if he's really going to try and, like... Uh, this is a, a very nerdy metaphor we're making. <laughs> I mean, it, it isn't most of uh, Tension Nasakawa's kickboxing career killing boars in the forest to get XP? Pretty much. <laughs> Except those boars are a metaphor for tiny Muay Thai fighters. Okay, I, uh, I guess we're done with that. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you hanging around for any of the nah. UFC stuff, Spencer? I think I'll head on now because uh, I'm like two minutes away from uh, picking up my dad. That was that was cool. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks Enjoy. for coming on, Matt. Yeah. Great having you. Later, man. Okay. So also, there was a UFC event. Um, an extremely fucking violent one as well. Um, I mean, there was eight knockouts and a submission, which was a club and sub. And um, I have to wonder if any of that was uh, people fighting with extra urgency because they knew they were in Texas and we were in, some, in for some questionable judging tonight. Um, main event... Uh, Josh Emmett defeats Calvin Cater by split decision. Uh, me and pretty much everyone I was talking to thought Calvin Cater was going to kind of destroy Josh Emmett. And um, it, was a, it was an extremely close fight, but I do kind of think Calvin Cater won it just because he um, outlanded Josh Emmett on numbers and while he wasn't throwing the, the big old fucking badonkadonks that Emmett was, he was just landing with like cleaner connections and better placement with with a uh, you know, crisp, mechanically clean punches. Um, and Josh Emmett was just doing a lot of just blitzing after Cater, and you know was was throwing away five punches to land one one big one, you know. Would get in some good body shots. Did definitely did a good, good job of working the body in the fight, and and uh, was getting through with some with some good hooks as well. No, uh, a lot of them were kind of just like grazing. He was he was punching arms and shoulders a lot, but still, when you're getting chased by a huge power puncher who's just knocking you around, even if he's not hitting you that clean, if you're just like if you're just like running away and covering up and not responding with offense, it doesn't look good optically. Um, and then in the fourth round, Kevin Cater like hurt Josh Emmett with like a good right hand, kind of spun him around and put him on skates and hit him with a really nice spinning elbow 
kind of didn't really press the action. And I don't know, it seemed like he was a little bit tentative about really going for the finish um, just because he really respected the power of Josh Emmett and mostly wanted to pick him off with like long straight shots and not get into any wild exchanges. Um, that being said, it was just a, a pretty fun and very well-matched fight between two guys who massively displayed each other's flaws. <clears throat> because uh, if either guy did like one thing different, they could have like won really easy. Because if Josh Emmett like kicked even once and started putting low kicks on the end of those blitzes, it would probably would have been a really clear decision. And uh, if Calvin Cater just like had a check hook or some kind of counter that he can throw off the off of the back foot mid exchange, it would have just like uh, allowed him to actually stand his ground when Emmett was blitzing at him. Um, but even though Cater is a good counter puncher, it's more stuff when he's able to draw out reactions with his jabs, and um, and, th- and then predict those reactions and interrupt them with his right hand or uppercut or elbow. Uh, I don't know. What did you think about this one, Christian? I, I think in a weird way, it's like kind of highly replicable for Cater K- uh, to lose a decision to Emmett, just based on. Oh, don't don't get it twisted. Even though the, even though I thought Cater won this fight after two rounds of this fight happening, I totally got the dynamic and like w- was thinking, okay, okay, it's probably going to lose this decision. Yeah, like Cater. For all the reasons I said. Cater goes on autopilot really hard in five round fights in pretty much all of his fights except for the the Giga fight, which even then he kind of just went on like a higher setting for his autopilot. So he was just doing the same thing over and over the entire fight. Like he'll find something that's working, or if nothing, not much is working, he'll kind of shut down. Like Max just overwhelmed him, and Cater landed like a good shot in the fifth round, but it, like it was kind of basically nothing throughout the fight and then this one he he just kind of got put into a defensive situation for the first three rounds and then he came back in the fourth and fifth but like his highest autopilot setting was just winning the round clear and hurting Emmett once and then not pressing for the finish so it it was just kind of frustrating to see Cater do that again because you know he even let Ige start getting back into the fight like it, it it was incredibly clear for Cater but that was a fight where he probably could have finished Emmett really whenever he wanted to and showed that he probably could have throughout the fight because he dropped him every time he really tried hard. So he, he just didn't go into that, uh, like the mode that he'll go into when he actually gets finishes where he just overthrows something really hard because his mechanics did look crisp. But when Calvin Cater's knocking people out, it's normally him loading up full power for like five punches consecutively. Or like five really hard strikes, like the 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 Stevens one. He elbowed him really hard, and then the left hook he threw after it, like he almost threw himself to the floor throwing it. He just didn't have that intensity at any point in this fight because he was just really worried about what Emmett could counter him with. And Cater has a a nice counter uppercut, but he's not the type of uppercutter that's going to uppercut short guys. He's the type of uppercutter that's going to uppercut someone that's tall that ducks a lot. Like, he caught Max with that. He caught uh, Shane Burgos with it. But then Emmett, the uppercut really only came whenever he could get Emmett moving his head off the jab. He, he couldn't just capitalize on the, the height disparity. So it was something where his Emmett just had to slip off to the side instead of ducking down really hard whenever he entered behind a shift. And he was completely safe from getting uppercutted. And Kater was like, cool, my, my weapon for attacking someone entering in on me is useless right now because he's slipping a little bit. So I guess I'll just put up my high guard and get punched on the shoulders twice and then eat a left hook to the body or, or like a hard shot on the ear. And it would just punctuate every exchange to where I, I think it's pretty reliable for Emmett to just find ways to be a craftier round winner than Cater is because Cater is a more consistent one, but he's not going to just steal around the way that Emmett can and kind of structures his game around doing. So I thought it was an impressive performance by both, but like the way that Emmett, I, I think Emmett deserved the win, even though I probably score it for Cater if I'm thinking about it. Just, you know, just morally, you know, he he seemed to be at a really difficult, uh, it seemed to be a terrible style matchup for Emmett before, but then 
now in hindsight, it kind of makes sense. Like if Cater's just going to react to someone, he can't like use his preferred shot selection against when moving backwards. Then he's just going to shut down and give away large portions of the round, just moving backwards and not really having much to throw back. And his jab is going to help him get into rounds, but it's not going to like fuck someone up and he's not going to punctuate exchanges with anything interesting to really like settle in uh, to the judges that he won around while Emmett will, uh, you know, his corner was telling him that he was way more ahead than he had reason to believe he was ahead, but they were right. You know, like they had a good read on the judges being, being bad. Yeah. I mean, it it was a gamble. They know what the judges are looking for. and, And like Emmett's smart enough to know if I'm, ending exchanges even if i'm losing overall i'm i'm winning more individual exchanges just with a single strike and then i leave and, and like disengage and look cool like oh i landed an overhand then i exited on an angle like that that's that's how you win rounds in mma the judges fucking love that shit so i mean depending on how the next few big matchups at featherweight shake out josh emmett could be next in line for the title um I don't know. Uh, I really like Calvin Cato, but I'm also like reasonably aware of his just stylistic limitations, and I think this kind of thing is just going to happen a lot. He's going to get a good win, particularly if he has a point to prove, and then uh, sometimes he's kind of just going to uh, take his foot off the gas a little bit and drop a decision to someone more dynamic than him. Maybe like to see him fight like Arnold Allen now, though. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Arnold Allen's a good one, and then I, I think Emmett versus either Max or Volk is really cool. But I kind of want to see him against Volk more, just because I think he's rougher for Volk than he is for Max. Uh, yeah, I think he he would get destroyed by Max Holloway, whereas him versus Volk is a uh, the the kind of weird mirror match that might kind of annoy Volk. Yeah, I could see it either being really easy for Volk, but like super scary for him the entire time. Like, I think it might be him arguably tenating him, but everyone's like, oh, fuck, is Volk okay? Is he going to be okay? Yeah. Whereas I just think, I don't think Max would even respect Josh Emmett's power. <laughs> yeah, I think Max might get cracked hard by a left hook at some point and then just like find a counter knee and be like, cool, he can't enter anymore. He'd like sidekick the knee once, land a body kick, be like, nice, I've shut down all of his weapons. Okay, so uh, co-main event, Kevin Holland looks like a pretty good welterweight. Uh, some combination of him just like having way more pronounced physicality at this weight class, but also just seems like he's probably taking his training more seriously after just having 10 rounds of the most dispiriting kind of loss you possibly could have. Um. And, you know, he's been fighting some some kind of old guys, but he needed a step back and he's looked great in these last two fights. And he fucking kind of just schooled Tim Means. Yeah, he was doing, like, nice hand fighting shit just to, like, kind of match Tim Means' craft. Because if you let Tim Means control the hand fight and let Tim Means control, like, the directionality of the fight the entire time or, or like, the range, he's going to take over because he's, like... He's crafty as fuck, and he's a pretty cultured striker. He normally has a height and reach advantage in yeah. in the matchups. Yeah, and and then Holland just had to kind of stay annoying for the first round, and then the second round uh, means slowed down just slightly, and he he caught him really bad on uh, on one leg, I believe it was, with a right hand, and then uh, fucking darsed him. Wasn't like that tight of a Darce, but it was like it was gonna be tight. Yeah, and Means was out of the fight. He was in desperation wrestling mode. The Darce was kind of a formality that stopped him taking more punches. Yeah, and and he had landed good shots on Holland, and it just seemed like he didn't have the power to hurt him. Holland is has really good awareness and and knows when shots are coming at him, and his chin seems fucking sick at welterweight. Yeah, I mean. His chin was sick at middleweight, and like welterweight doesn't seem like uh, even a bad enough cut for him that it's going to be significantly diminishing his reactions or durability. Yeah, he he looks um, in crazy good shape at one seventy. Yeah, it seems like maybe just like actually having to make a weight is has just given him like like a discipline that's translated into his 
into his fighting style. And, you know, but there's still Kevin Holland fights. He's still he's still posturing and talking to the guys. He's still doing fuck shit. Yeah. He's still just having fun out there. But he looks like a crafty, well put together fighter. And it's it's great. It's great to see. And there's there's guys I want to see him fight well to wait. Get, get him in there with get him in there with Muslim Salakov for the real king of Kung Fu. He he called out Sean Brady. He he's a fucking lunatic. Why would he do that? Yeah, because Sean Brady got like busted up by Jake Matthews and, and got kneed by Michael Chiesa. What if Holland just comes out southpaw and, and does front kicks in straights? Yeah. We can't forget that Kevin Holland had like the fucking like birth sign from Elder Scrolls game or from Oblivion shit where he, he just comes into a fight and he's like, oh, well, I got my arm destroyed, but now I'm the best jabber I've ever been. Or, oh, this fight, I'm just going to go Hulk the guy and throw him to the floor and destroy him. Or, oh, this one, I have like plus 50 power if I'm on my back against Jacare. It, it, it's just very... Like, we can't forget that he still has that in him, even though he's been kind of homogenized in his last few fights. I don't know that I want to get him right back in there with one of the best and just, like, physically strongest grapplers in the division. Why not? Kevin Hall's not scared. No, he's not. He fights crime. He's not, sc- he's not scared of anyone. He will fight people in the street. Like, I have no doubt that Kevin Holland could, like, go up to heavyweight. And he would just be fine. He stopped a, a fucking theft the day before the fight again. He, he's he's incredible. He's Batman. Or a cop, depending on uh, who you ask. But he, he loves weed too much. He's Batman. Um, Wacky Buckley for Albert Duraev. Uh This fight was weird because I, I I've always been interested in Wacky Buckley. He's cool. But his development as a fighter has been incredibly confusing. And I think I kind of get Buckley now. And I mean, of course, he's like a famous gym nomad. And I think that works for fighters who have a clear idea of how they want to fight. But Buckley's just kind of a doer and he kind of just does stuff. So he kind of just goes around just picking up random weird techniques that he just tries. And in the opening of this fight, I was just absolutely, I was just so frustrated with his shot selection. Because even though he's like the five foot seven middleweight, he wants to be like the weird rangy kicker guy. And, and I'm like, Where, where's the Buckley that was getting inside and shoe shining the body? Um, but as this fight went on, it just became increasingly disrespectful towards his opponent, Albert Duraev, and it was, it was just really funny because Duraev just uh, could not deal with a fast southpaw and Buckley just uh, couldn't miss with his left straight and left high kick and was just freed up to do all of the fucking dumb shit that he wanted to in between doing left straights and left high kicks um, and ended up uh, just destroying Albert Duraev's right eye to the point that they just had to stop the fight. One of the only times I've ever heard an MMA crowd cheer for a doctor stoppage because they were all just, I guess, just vibing so hard with how Buckley was just clowning this guy. Like, seriously, if you haven't seen it, just go watch the last, like, 10 seconds of the second round because it is one of the funniest knockdowns I've ever seen in combat sports. Yeah, and it's, like, all you need to see of the fight because the first round was kind of like, like whack. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. There's... It's not a fight that lends itself well to analysis because there wasn't really much reason behind anything that was happening, but the vibe was immaculate. Yeah, and then we got Demir Ismagulov versus Guram Kutataladze, which is a fight that Sriram, uh, I believe, just released an article on it or is about to. So, so, you know. so go read that because he'll say loads of really smart things that we're not going to say. Um, did you think this was kind of a robbery? I did not, but I kind of understand the argument. I think I gave it to Demir just on, on like, vibe. You know, he like he, he was jabbing him and then, like, getting out of the way of the kicks a lot. It felt like he was controlling the dynamic more so. I kind of just thought a best-case scenario, it should have been a draw for, for Demir, if, if, if not a win for Guram. It's just... It's just the dynamic when somebody nearly gets finished in the first in the first round, and then the other two rounds are like pretty close. 
I, I, but I can see how Demir came came away with this one, and uh, Kutateladze definitely took his foot off the gas. Didn't you know? Didn't really do enough to seal the the second and third that he could be super mad about it. And, and Demir did a good job of uh, staying composed and getting back into the fight. Yeah, I, I don't I don't have very much to add uh, about this fight because it, it was you see what you, you you get what you you pay for like you you watch two good lightweights uh, that aren't ranked and and it goes to a decision that that's what happens. There's like seven guys in this archetype of people that could be ranked but aren't because they keep fighting each other. <laughs> And then they keep going to decision because they're they're too good to finish each other, or like too good to get finished. So really, the only way to to get ranked at lightweight is to just fucking kill a can or f- or five, uh, or win like three consecutive decisions against the super prospects that are incredibly hard to finish that you're not going to be able to finish, or even like not the super prospects like fucking Bobby Green who's been around forever. He's one of those where he's really fucking hard to finish. So if you put like Garam versus Demir, they'd probably both go to like a arguable robbery decision either way against Bobby Green. Yeah, we're going to be talking about two of those exact guys in the next main event. Yep. Yeah, and, th- and those guys finally broke through, and even then, it's still breaking through really slowly, and they're making them fight each other. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> both both should be getting the Tony Ferguson treatment. Yeah, eventually some of these guys have just got to start breaking through to that, like, the inner circle at lightweight where everybody fights Tony Ferguson and everybody calls out Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor and, and, and all of those guys. And uh, I, I don't know how, how, how they get those matchups right now. It's fucking stupid. Uh, anyway, Julian Marquez versus Gregory Hobo Cop Rodriguez. I said this was going to be a middleweight banger for the ages and holy shit. Gregory Rodriguez is a fucking beast. I love him. The best boxer in the sport by yeah. miles. Like, like I was saying, you know how Jacare had that like late career thing where he like thought boxing was really cool and got super into it, but he was already like pretty physically degraded from a lifetime of uh, just completely absurd combat sports career. Gregory Rodriguez is like if Jacare got into boxing in his in his athletic prime. He's fucking dope. Yeah, Marquez being very, very rote, uh, much slower, and uh, like with a worse chin, definitely helped. Uh, Rodriguez kind of wasn't this the first time that Marquez had been knocked out though. He's been pretty fucking durable. Oh yeah, he he has a good chin, but he gets hurt quite a bit. And even in this fight, he didn't like. He only got knocked out because he got hit in the face four hundred times and hurt really badly. Like with. 300 of the shots. So it, it just, it was like kind of an athletic mismatch uh, that we didn't have reason to expect would come up because there was no way of knowing that Gregory Rodriguez would be like a 10 times better boxer this fight. He's looked like he's had improved boxing in his last, like pretty much his entire UFC run, but he really looked like crisp in this fight. But it's a matchup that's like set up to make him look that good because he just had to maintain his range. Marquez is really rote, just going to throw the same things over and over. Once you figure out what shots he's coming into the fight with, then you can just kind of defend those three or four tactics and then dust him. Yeah, Marquez was like, he was throwing down for the whole fight, and Gregory Rodriguez definitely still had to stay composed and consistent. It was just absolutely gorgeous shot selection in the finishing sequence. I mean, it was basically like a three-minute finishing sequence of him just like dropping Julian Marquez like multiple times with just the sickest shit. It was great. Yeah, and the, it was one of the fights that could have been stopped in like the first minute, but was let to go on for more than twice the length that it should have been allowed. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of glad it did. Oh yeah, I was glad it did too, and it, it you know it mounted to an actual knockout uh, rather than like a standing TKO. But there was another one earlier on the card that we'll mention uh, where it could have been a standing TKO in the, like the first two minutes, but instead it became a two round fight. 
So the 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 not just the judging was kind of shaky on this card. It was also the refereeing. We in Texas, baby. You can't see me right now, but I'm wearing a six-gallon hat and shooting two revolvers into the air. Yeah. Yeehaw. Adrian Yanez, uh, fucking dusted. Tony Kelly. Uh, Christian, you want to say what you said about this fight? Uh, yeah, it's it's Jorge Masvidal versus uh, Donald Cerrone. It was just a bunch of Yanez doing the same side uh, kick catches and then countering with that shot. Like, he would parry off a kick with his left hand, then pop in a left hook or left overhand. Uh, Yanez was... Like not really having any troubles with Kelly's kicking offense, and Kelly looked kind of stiff and like Cerrone like. Uh, of course, there's like the the like visible physical difference, like similarities between the the matchup, but also just the the tactics in the matchup kind of came up similar <laughs> yeah, to that fight. It, it 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 was a guy who looks like a small Jorge Masvidal, uh, dusting a tall racist white guy by uh, repeatedly <laughs> countering his kicks with left hooks. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and hitting the body and, and just having overall more versatile shot selection. Oh, and also could have been stopped uh, a lot earlier than <laughs> did, much like Cerrone Masvidal. Yeah. <laughs> but, I oh, know, Adrian Yanez is sick, man. Like, uh, I, I, I get him in that Sean O'Malley fight or something. Like, he, he was just too fast, too accurate, too composed. He's able to find really quick, accurate shots from, like, like weird positions because he's just like fast and creative and he has great eyes. Uh, he's, he's, he's really cool. I'm excited to see what the future holds for Adrian Yanez. And, uh, you know, Tony Kelly, uh, obviously everybody hates Tony Kelly because he's an asshole. Uh, but he, he's, he's tough and, uh, like, and like a pretty smart, well-rounded fighter and not easy to knock out at all. Yeah. If he was easy to knock out, Randy Costa would have, yeah, definitely. But like everything he tried against Costa to shut down Costa's offense was the exact opposite of what he needed to do against Yanez, and he just didn't have the depth in the boxing or really any form of striking to to handle himself. He just could not maintain being at range with Yanez in any yeah, way. He was just a flat out worse striker, and he was stranded on the feet with him in probably like a worse grappler. Then Yanez, like, there's no way he was going to be able to submit or control Yanez. Yanez is too consistent and, like, as you said, composed. He's not just going to get uh, get ran into the cage. And he, he wasn't, he's not a kicker like Randy Costa is. So the I kind of just think Kelly had a really good matchup against Costa. I don't think Kelly should be within the top, like, 40 at bantamweight. But for some reason, they're giving, they gave him a fight with Yanez, which is weird. It, it did feel like they were kind of just giving in as a knockout. Yeah, I'm glad they did. Yeah, fuck that He's guy. Cool guy. Yeah, you know, this is cool. He got a big win in his hometown. Yeah, I respect his skill set a lot more. He he was. I mean, I I've always respected it, but like now I I like it more. Like it's cooler because he was doing shit like just uh, slapping his right hand through the guard and like kind of knocking on the nose just to off put his opponent. Like, it wasn't a sniper shot that was going to, like, knock someone out. It was just bothering him a bunch. And those are really fun uh, types of strikers to see. Someone that's just going to put a bunch of volume on someone's face and kind of tune them up and, like, bust up their eyes, like, break their nose. Just kind of, like, wear on someone with, with like, nice boxing volume. Um, and then Natalia Silva is Edson Barboza. Exactly. Um, and she had an absolute, perf- absolutely perfect matchup in uh, Jasmine D- Sudavicius. It's a hard one. Um, who kind of just like plotted at her in a straight line and had no answer for someone who was just going to uh, throw like switch kicks and hooks and then circle out to their lead side and then just do it over and over again. And every time she got into the clinch to try and actually mount some wrestling offense and Natalia Silva would just hit like a sick where's a throw on her and just throw on her face. Yeah. I, I think this fight was kind of like if Edson Barboza from 2014 fought Khabib when Khabib was 13. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Jasmine was just a dramatically worse athlete. But she had a lot of tenacity. Like in the third round, she was straight up doing the 
a thing that was like straight out of the Edson versus Khabib sequence. Uh, I believe in the third round where Khabib just fucking sprints at him. Like he drops his both his hands, and starts running at him and it works as like a pressure tool. And that that's a way the Jasmine started being able to get self on the fence uh, later on when she was like kind of trying to come back. But Jasmine's just not a good athlete. And she kind of won a robbery in her last fight before this, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I remember that. But just like, e- even with the athletic disparity, there were things that she could have done to get into this fight. Like, I don't think she threw a single kick against someone who, like, every time they planted to throw offense, would immediately just like gallop off to the same side. It's like, dude, so just kick, kick her in the leg, like one time. It's just like, just like her root slowly walked at her in a straight line. Actually, like, kind of mostly just stayed in the center of the octagon, just like slowly turning towards Natalia Silva. Um, no, but Silva's cool. And it's always cool to see a, just a fun striking prospect, uh, women's flyweight. Jeremiah Wells knocked Court McGee the fuck out. I kind of thought Court McGee might win because Jeremiah Wells normally. <clears throat> normally has to be able to out-wrestle his opponents, and that doesn't really work against Court McGee. Uh, but Jeremiah Wells is just really fucking athletic and uh, threw a big, silly, straight-arm left hook that knocked Court McGee fucking dead. Just have, simply have uh, really long arms and be short, and then you can knock people out because people do not know how far away you are. <laughs> it, it was It was really, like, Court did the right thing. Like he he was like getting out of position kind of like as safely as he normally needs to. And then the guy just had like four inches longer arms than he was expecting because the guy's how tall is he? He five, nine, something like that at one seventy. Like if you have a frame like that, you're like, you're probably going to be really powerful. Yeah. And, and you just kind of got to like, he, he just clipped him. It's kind, of, it's kind of kind of all there is to say about the fight. Yeah, uh, like as with the next one, Ricardo Hamos just dusted Danny Chavez in like a minute. This spinning elbow, it was as a, Ricardo Hamos yeah, is want to do. Yeah, it was his second spinning elbow knockout. Um, so that's neat. This time he was at least moving forward when he did it. I mean, not at least, you know, it was it was a sick elbow counter that he tried like 15 times uh, against the hobby. And then he hurt uh, Tukagov with it at one point. And then this one, he was like, oh, I'll just kind of like faint low and then like do a kind of overhand elbow or spinning elbow. And it just bopped him on the temple. And then he did a few finishing shots while the guy was like stiffened out about to fall over. Um, Maria Oliveira versus Gloria Paula. That was a pretty decent fight. Oliveira was uh, doing a lot of posturing, and uh, DePaula was trying her best. So that's kind of all I have to say about it, because I don't remember that much tactically about the fight. It didn't leave a huge impression on me. But it was it was an okay fight on a, a card with fucking 30 first-round finishes. Uh, then we had Cody Stamen knocking out Eddie Wineland. Oh my god, Eddie Wineland's so shot. He's so shot. He's retired uh, now, though, so that's good. Oh, that's good. Um, he took three first-round yeah. knockouts consecutively. Yeah, I mean... And, and that Grigori Popov fight, was a, it was a cool last hurrah for Eddie Wineland. Yeah. But uh, he was barely hanging on in that fight. And he was never, at that point in his career, getting knocked out how he did by Sean O'Malley, he was just never going to recover from that. And, you know, he's always had a fucking weird, janky style that's, like, fun, but he's, like, he's he's slow and holds his hands in, in weird places and has his chin up in the air, and he just can't see the shots coming or recover from them anymore. And Cody Stamen is just a competent, reasonably athletic fighter who hasn't had a knockout win in like five years and he just fucking dusted Eddie Wineland with like the first clean punches that he landed. Yeah, it was a, a fight that if, you know, we could put Stamen in a time machine and have him fight Prime Eddie Wineland, it would be sick. But instead, uh, 
Wineland, I, I think there are people that don't even train combat sports that could knock out Eddie Wineland right now with how shot he is. Like, he is maybe the most shot guy I can think of in the UFC. <laughs> but he's retired now, so. Like, good on him for finally retiring. He had a great career. And good on Cody Stamen WBC for... WBC champion back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good on Cody Stamen for, like, knocking out someone he should have knocked out. Yeah, this was an absolute must win for Cody Stamen, and he just went out there and dusted the old man who had no chin. So it, There was like, zero way he wasn't going to win by knockout. Kind of. Yeah. Um, Phil Hawes knocked out Deron Wynn. Uh, Phil Hawes, he's kind of cool. He's got some cool shot selection, and he's pretty athletic and has a good wrestling base to fall back on. But he's kind of rote and not that accurate and doesn't have a great chin, and that's basically Phil Hawes. But he's, uh, you know, Deron Wynn was still just a matchup absolutely designed to let Phil Hawes do all of his stuff. And like you said, it probably should have been stopped in the first round. But kind of became enough of a banger that you know Deron Wynn got more of a chance than he should have uh, before. Yeah, Phil Hawes just you pretty much yeah, yeah. just finished him on the on on the feet with volume in the second round. It seems like Hawes is definitely getting better. Like you're right, he is generally kind of inaccurate, but he had like 85 percent accuracy in this fight just because of how hittable Deron Wynn is and how the speed difference matched up, and he got Deron's timing pretty immediately and then the the length disparity that like it was a it was a rough fight for Deron win uh it seemed like kind of winnable for him if he didn't get hurt so immediately or he like really pressed the grappling to begin with because uh, he could make it into like a really sloppy exhausting fight that i could see him kind of pulling through in but the way that he was approaching it, there was never a way he was going to beat Phil Hawes. Like, Phil Hawes has a good chin. He got fucked up by Chris Curtis because Chris Curtis is a really, like, good boxer. And he even then was fucking up Chris Curtis before that. Like, Chris Curtis had to go through fire to kind of get in that position. And it seemed like Deron Wynn may have been approaching the fight as if Phil Hawes just broke against Chris Curtis, which is objectively not what happened. And Phil Hawes has been getting progressively better at hoofs. Uh, like, his shot selections... It's very like standard, but with how athletic he is, he can get by with just the only depth to his striking game being if he's feeling himself, he'll start spamming elbows. Like that, that's enough for him to to just be able to jab, throw a nice straight off the jab sometimes, and consistent and like body kicker. Kick. Yeah, like he he has a like good front kicks. So yeah, that was, that was very neat. Uh, one of the worst shit kickings I've seen in recent memory. And then uh, Roman Delidze, uh easily destroyed Kyle, Kyle Dalkaus. Yeah, it was a strength mismatch. Delidze looked so much heavier and just kind of uh, like clipped him. He, he like punched his head into position with uh, one hook and then the other hook dropped him. So and then uh, once Doc got back up, they got into the clinch, and he muscled his head into the line of fire for a round knee. And then when he fell to the ground, uh, the fight was over. Not that interesting, but Delidze's biggest shit. See, this is this is the thing when there's just a bunch of first round knockouts. It makes our job, you know, kind of redundant. Not a ton to talk about from that perspective. But you should go watch all of these knockouts because they were cool. And um, yeah, that's the entire card. And you can catch us in uh, just a few days where we'll be talking about a main event in, in which uh, one of the uh, aforementioned super prospects at Lightweight will get to uh, take out one of the other ones in uh, Mateusz Gamrot versus Armin Saryukian. Pretty cool main event. And yeah, if you, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast and all of the other great stuff that the fight site puts out and please consider supporting us on patreon just a pledge of three dollars gain gains access to a huge library of really high quality analytical fight content and a pledge of five dollars gains access to a discord server where we have a great community with really cool interesting fight fans from a variety of different backgrounds we always have great discussions and you can talk to staff where christian and myself are always very active we always have fight night vcs get together and have watch parties it's always good fun 
you should come hang out. Maybe someone will be able to find you, find you a link for Takaru versus Tension. You mean the match? I do, sorry, the match. Yeah, well, catch you guys later. Peace. Later.